Can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1? We're on page 1187 of the Pew Bibles, 1187. And we're going to read, well, just the four, first four verses of Hebrews and chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Do keep that open in front of you as we think about that together now. We're going to pray as we start this pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer because we need your help. We want to understand what you are saying. We want your Holy Spirit to be at work in us to apply these things into our lives. Lord, please do something in our lives, even this morning. Please do not let us leave unmoved, unchanged by what you are saying. Help us to have ears to hear, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how it's going in your relationship with God at the moment. Perhaps you find yourself struggling in your faith today. Maybe you find it hard to pray. Maybe you're not as joyful as you once were. Perhaps there's um, a personal struggle, something that's playing on your mind. Um, A feeling that everything isn't quite what you'd hoped it would be. You know, church, the Bible, your walk with the Lord. You hope there'd be something different, something more. And maybe you're tempted to look elsewhere. Try and find answers, satisfaction, hope in some other place. Well, Hebrews is the book for you. It's written to people who were tempted to go back to their old ways. Now, we don't know exactly who the first readers were, but they were were Christians from a Jewish background. And they were tempted to go back to Judaism, back to the rituals, the sacrifices that they once knew so well. And the author, and we don't know who he is either, wants to encourage the believers to persevere, to keep going with Christ. One commentary I have on this letter is called No Turning Back. Keep going, press on, don't go back. Why? Because Jesus is better. That's a concept you find a lot in this letter to the Hebrews. Jesus is better, he's more excellent, he's superior. He is 
better, better than angels, better than prophets, better than Moses, Aaron, Levitical priests, Joshua. Uh, There's a better covenant. And he's the one to keep trusting through it all because he is better than any alternative. So press on. Press on through the difficulties, even through the persecutions, through the temptations to turn back. Persevere. Stick with Jesus because he's better. That's the message of this letter. Perhaps that's the message you need to be reminded of today. The um, author's going to say that Jesus is better than the rituals, the priesthood, the old covenant, better in every way, better than everyone. But right at the start of the letter, we're going to learn that when it comes to revelation, to truth, to to God speaking, then he again is, is better. He's better than the Old Testament prophets, for example. Have a look at verse one. Let's read that part again. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Let's not miss the obvious here. God speaks. That's what it's saying. He's not a wind up the earth and let it go kind of a God. He is not silent, but he's a God who takes the initiative. He reveals. He's the God who speaks. Now, without God... People are really good at guessing. And by really good, I don't mean they come up with um, excellent, accurate ideas. I mean they come up with lots and lots and lots of ideas about reality, about origins, about the future. Now, they're just stabbing in the dark. But that doesn't stop humankind from guessing and guessing and guessing. Wouldn't it be great if God just told us the truth? Don't we want that in our personal lives too? Don't we sometimes think, if only, if only God would speak to me at this point? And he does. He communicates. He means to be heard. God speaks. He has something to say. And this is God we're talking about. He's, he's the one with the blueprints. He made us. He knows the future. He, he controls the future. He has his hand on the remote control of the universe. What he says, now that matters. What God says, now that's important. I mean, there are, there are so many great issues of the day where people disagree, where people change their minds. If only God would speak on, on how we should value life, on whether humans are more valuable than animals, on what marriage is, gender, sexuality... On how to treat one another, what attitude we should have to our enemies, on the nature of right and wrong, on what happens after we die. If only God would speak on these things, and he does. God speaks. The question is whether we'll listen, whether we'll respond, whether we'll obey, or whether we'll say, yeah, but... But what about this other point of view? What about what I think? What's going on in my head? What about that other idea? Are we in danger of reducing God to one voice among many? You know, weighing up what he says. Or shall I, shan't I? Weighing up what he says against our own internal ideas? It's like we're the ultimate authority. Are we in danger of that? But God... You know, he's the eternal one. He's, 
He really knows everything. He's the all-wise one. He's God. And he speaks. We can know the truth because God speaks. We'd better be listening. Verse 1 and 2 point out that God has spoken in more than one way. And I want you to think for a moment now in verses 1 and 2 about the contrast in the way God speaks long ago and in these last days. Now, in these last days is actually now. It's the time between the first coming of Jesus and his return, the second coming of Jesus. The New Testament consistently makes this point. The last days is where we are right now. So this is relevant to us. We are in the last days. So have a think about the contrast here. Long ago, God spoke. In these last days, God has spoken. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at many times and in many ways. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, And then it doesn't say anything else. Because Jesus is the ultimate revelation. Under the old covenant, God spoke in many ways. You know, God's actions, God speaking directly to Moses, the thunder on the mountain, the still small voice to Elijah, the psalmist, dreams, visions, all sorts of things. But now it all centres in his son. There's something final about this. In these last days, it's coming to an end and we have the final and better revelation. He's better than the prophets. Verse 4 tells us that he's better than another Old Testament form of revelation. He's better than the angels too, those messengers from God. It's not that the angels were wrong or the prophets were inaccurate, just incomplete, partial. The prophets spoke of one to come, And now he's here. Now the sun has come. The Old Testament speaks of of shadow, a vague outline, an idea of the shape. But the sun is the substance. He's the one who casts the shadow. He's the reality. He's the full picture. You get absolute clarity by looking to him, to Jesus, to the sun. David Mattis, a, a preacher from the States, puts it this way. God has spoken so fully and so richly and so decisively in one particular person, not just through him, but in him, that we call him the Word, with a capital W. God's ultimate communication, his ultimate Word to us, it's Jesus. Now remember why the author is writing here. He wants the readers to press on with Jesus. Don't turn back, don't give up, but press on. He's going to do it by showing that Jesus is better. And the first thought he brings to us is that Jesus is the better revelation, the ultimate revelation of God. And in the rest of verse 2 and verse 3 and 4, the author shows why Jesus is the better revelation. He's going to describe the son by piling up these jaw-dropping descriptions of who who he is. But this is going to serve more than one purpose. In the immediate context, it's going to say, look, this is why he's the better revelation. Listen to him. 
press on with him. But it also shows some of the other truths that will come up as the letter progresses. And it shows why Jesus is better, full stop. Not just why he's the better revelation, but why he's better, full stop. It's because he's God. Now that's a pretty mind-bending thing for us to grasp today. But this author is writing to people from a Jewish background. They've heard every day of their childhood at their mother's knee, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. This truth that Jesus is God, it's just going to shatter their whole worldview. But it is central to grasping why Jesus is better, why he's the better revelation too. The Old Testament prophets say, this is what God is like. When it comes to Jesus, you can say, this is God. It's the difference between describe and show. Of course he's the supreme revelation of God. He is God. He is also distinct from the Father. He's called the Son. That speaks of something about the relationship within the Godhead. Father, Son and Spirit, three persons, yet one God. But these opening verses of the letter exalt him with titles and descriptions that say, Deity, Divine, God. It comes to a peak, it seems to me, in in the three descriptions at the start of verse 3. Here's one of them. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the very shining of the brilliance of who God is. You know, God's glory is the combined weight of all his perfections. That's what God's glory is. And the radiance of that glory is the display, the shining out of the perfections of God. Who is able to display the perfections of God? except one who is God. Remember the words of Jesus at the start of his high priestly prayer in John 17. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. How can you have glory with the Father, alongside the Father, shared with the Father before the world existed, unless you are divine? Here's another description, verse 3. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Okay, so you've got a a wax on your letter and you've got your metal seal and you press it down, you stamp it in and you get the exact imprint of the seal left on the wax. The sun bears the very stamp of God's nature. But how do you get an imprint when the, the stamp is as big as God? The infinite one. You need to receive the imprint on something as big as the original. You need a God-sized imprint to make make an exact copy of a human being, a kind of a, a clone. That sounds feasible. We could kind of manage that. But to make an exact imprint of God who goes on forever and ever, you'd need to be God-sized. But with the sun, it works. Because all the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. The third description, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
He sustains existence. He's personally and continually involved in all of reality. So take the electrons swirling around each nucleus. nucleus. It's because Jesus says so. Humans breathe at his command. Planets circle distant stars because Jesus wants it that way. He allows it moment by moment. He upholds it all. Who else in scripture has such power in his word? It's Genesis stuff, isn't it? It's God level stuff. Let there be. And there was. The sun is God. To see the sun is to see what the father is like. I would have loved to have been there and seen the look on the faces of the disciples when when Jesus answered Philip in the upper room. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. I mean, it fits in with what Jesus has been saying and doing all through his ministry. But it's still just kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? It's startling. It's the kind of statement that takes a lifetime to process. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And surely the disciples are thinking, is this, is this for real? Is this too much? Until he rises from the dead. You know, how about someone who backs up his words with his actions? On the third day he will rise and he does. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Of course the Son is uniquely qualified to be the ultimate revelation of God because he is God. John 1, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The writer goes on to kind of bolster the argument, to point out again and again, look, he's the better revelation. If you want truth, if you want to know about God, this is the direction to look in. Verse 2, he's the heir of all things. You know, Ephesians 1 describes to us how there's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in, in Christ, in, in this Jesus, in the Son. That, that's God's plan for the fullness of time. Uh, and John Piper points out helpfully why we should listen especially listen to this Jesus who gives such great promises. Why should we listen to, to him? How can he, he fulfil these great promises? And he says, look, the author here wants us to dwell on the fact that the one we listen to, Jesus, the Son of God, he can make good on every promise in the end. Why? Because he's the heir of all things. In the end, he will have all things at his disposal. He will have everything in subjection to him. Of course he can keep his promises. Of course he's worth listening to. He's going to have everything. Everything. Who is better able to do what they say? At the end of verse 2, it points out that he was the agent of creation. That's the kind of power he's got at his disposal. Gain power to do what he promises. Through him, all things were made. Then in verse 3, one of the central themes of the letter to the Hebrews, the author tells us that he he made purification for sins. You know, Old Testament prophets might have hoped for it, pointed to it, looked towards it, illustrated it, but Jesus did it. He wiped away our sins by his death on the cross. He won for us access to God. 
acceptance, adoption, forgiveness when he died to deal with our sins. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? You know, one, one with that kind of love, as well as that kind of power, of course he's going to achieve for us what he says he's going to do. He's worth listening to. And his status is as exalted as you can imagine. If you come into the presence of a great king, you bow down or you stand ready to serve. How much more with God you fall flat on your face or you're ready to do whatever he says at a moment's notice. You don't sit down. But Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That was his rightful place. As predicted in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The son is honoured. The position of honour, special honour, special favour, privilege, victory and power. When he speaks, all the prophets, all the angels are silent. Now, at this point, perhaps the author should just stop and say, go and look at Jesus. Go to Jesus. Listen to him. Do you think he might say something like this? Go and read the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Have a listen to that. That's the ultimate truth. Forget the rest. Some people do that, you know. Um, Some people use red letter Bibles in a wrong way. You know those Bibles where the words of Jesus are in red? Everything else is in black type. And some people think, oh, the words of Jesus, that's where it's at. That's, that's really infallible. The rest you can just take it or leave it. But just listen to Jesus, they say. Yet the whole Bible is the word of God. It's all inerrant and infallible. It's all the message from the Almighty. Notice what the author of Hebrews does at this point. He does not simply say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, go go and read that every day. That's all you need. And he stops there. No, he writes an entire letter. A whole letter about Jesus. He points us to the one who is better. It's still about Jesus. He reflects on who he is, what he's done, great truths about the Son. But he expects us to read the inspired word about Jesus as well as the inspired word of Jesus. The whole New Testament, it's about Jesus. Jesus, here is truth. Here is revelation about Jesus. You want to look to Jesus? This is where you read. And not just the New Testament, the Old Testament as well. In fact, Hebrews, you can't help but notice that there's these Old Testament quotes again and again and again. Look at chapter 1. It's full of Old Testament quotes because they point to Jesus. Yeah, he's the ultimate revelation, but the whole book points us to Christ. You can see Christ in all the scripture, every book pointing forward to Jesus. The whole book is the word of Christ, the message from our maker. Now, I know this is not new information to most of you, is it? But it's, this is consequential. This, this matters. If we're being called to listen to Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God. The truth, this is what matters, this is what God says. God speaks and he wants to speak to you by saying, look at my son, listen to him, the one with whom I'm well pleased. When Jesus says, follow me, we should listen to him because he's God. 
When Jesus defines marriage, we should trust him with that. When he warns against covetousness, you know, we should tremble, we should repent. When he commands us not to grumble, we need to obey. When he speaks of heaven and hell, we should believe him. When Jesus says things that take you out of your comfort zone, keep going with him because of who he is. When Jesus says something which is against what the rest of the world says, anti our culture, your friends are not going to be happy with that. Well, remember who's speaking. When Jesus exercises lordship over you and commands you, remember that he is Lord. He's got every right. God is the one to trust, to listen to, even through the storm. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. You want to know Jesus? This book points to him all the way through, again and again and again, displaying his glories. You can get more of Jesus right here. That's the best thing to do. One preacher put it this way. We can come to know Jesus better but we can never find anything better than knowing Jesus. We can come to know Jesus better, but we can never find anything better than knowing Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the better revelation, the ultimate revealing of God? Jesus is God's message to you. God wants you to look to him, to desire Jesus, to follow him. He's better. He's better than any other option, including your own thinking. Don't turn back from following Jesus. Don't choose any other way. Don't turn to anyone else. There's no one better than the Lord Jesus Christ. Who else has the words of eternal life? Let's listen to him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your Son, that we might see him and therefore see you, Father. We thank you that your word points to him again and again and again. And we can know your Son better. Help us to trust him, to listen to him, to believe him. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.